I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. Psalm 22. Which is called a, a prophetic portrait of the cross. For the pure and shining one. King David's song of anguish to the tune of the deer at the dawning of the day. God, my God, why would you abandon me now? Why do you remain distant, refusing to answer my tearful cries in the day and my desperate cries for your help in the night? I can't stop sobbing. Where are you, my God? Yet I know that you're most holy. It's indisputable. You are God enthroned, surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Our Father's faith was in you. Through the generations they trusted and believed in you, and you came through. Every time they cried out to you in their despair, you were faithful to deliver them. You didn't disappoint them. But look at me now. I'm like a woeful worm, crushed, and I'm bleeding crimson. I don't even look like a man anymore. I've been abused, despised, and scorned by everyone, mocked by their jeers, despised by their sneers, as the people all poke fun at me, spitting their insults, saying, Is this the one who trusted in God? Is this the one who claims God is pleased with him? Now let's see if your God will come to rescue you, We'll just see how much he delights in you. Lord, you delivered me safely from my mother's womb. You were the one who cared for me ever since I was a baby. Since the day I was born, I've been placed in your custody. You've cradled me throughout my days. I've trusted in you and you've always been my God. So don't leave me now. Stay close to me for trouble is all around me and there is no one else to help me. I'm surrounded by many violent foes, many mighty forces of evil are swirling around me who want to break me to bits and destroy me. Curses pour from their mouths. They're like ravenous roaring lions tearing their prey. Now I'm completely exhausted. I'm spent Every joint in my body has been pulled apart. My courage has vanished and my inward parts have melted away. I'm so thirsty and parched, dry as a bone. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth and now you've left me in the dust for dead. They've pierced my hands and my feet like a pack of wild dogs. They tear at me, swirling around me in their hatred. They gather around me like lions to pin my hands and feet. All my bones stick out. Look at how they gloat over me and stare. With a toss of the dice, they divide my clothes among themselves, gambling for my garments. Oh Lord, my God, please don't stay far away. For you are my only might and strength. Won't you come quickly to my rescue? Give me back my life. Save me from this violent death. Save my precious one and only from the power of these demons. Save me from all the power of the enemy, from this roaring lion raging against me and the power of this dark horde. I will praise your name before all my brothers. As my people gather, I will praise you in their midst. 
Lovers of Yahweh, praise him. Let all the true seed of Jacob glorify him with your praises. Stand in awe of him, all you princely people, the offspring of Israel. For he has not despised my cries of deep despair. He's my first responder to my sufferings. And he didn't look the other way when I was in pain. He was there all the time listening to the song of the afflicted. Oh, you're the reason for my praise. It comes from you and goes to you. I will keep my promise to praise you before all who fear you among the congregation of your people. I will invite the poor and broken and they will come and eat until satisfied. But Yahweh, praise you. No, sorry, bring Yahweh praise and you will find him. Your hearts will overflow with life forever. From the four corners of the earth, the peoples of the world will remember and turn to the Lord. Every nation will come and worship him. For the Lord is king of all who takes charge of all the nations. There they are, they're worshipping. The wealth, wealthy of this world will feast in fellowship with him right alongside the humble of heart. Bowing down to the dust, forsaking their own souls, they will come and worship this worthy king. His spiritual seed shall serve him. Future generations will hear from us about the wonders of the sovereign Lord. His generation yet to be born will glorify him and they will all declare, it is finished. David was, in modern terms, a singer-songwriter. This was a song meant to be sung. And it may have sounded something like this. David was doing in this psalm is he's putting in words of a song I think something that took him some time to go to I can imagine him writing this towards the end of his life at a time when everything had been gathered to build the temple that he was going to build that he wasn't going to build rather that his son was going to build. And if I can find the reading where I put it. In 1 Chronicles, 
he says how amazing it is that we've been able to do this. The promises of God are being fulfilled. All the people have brought so much. And he says, it's, it's only what is yours already that you've given us, that we've given you. And this temple is going to be built after me, after I'm gone. But to praise your name forever. And he's looking back. He looks back on all that he's been through and sees that God was with him through all of it, through his highs and his lows. And he had them. When he was, I'm guessing, about 18, he was a young, maybe 16, young sort of shepherd, the lowliest of the family, the one they didn't bother fetching in when Samuel came to Jesse and said, you know, I want one of your sons is going to be king, more or less. And they had to look through all the others. And eventually David gets called in because he's the last one left. And he's told he's going to be king and he's anointed because God looks upon the heart, not on the outward condition, not what people see. I don't think Samuel told him what he was going to be facing, what would come after that. He was going to be king. But it didn't happen for ages. But things started to go well. First, the king wanted him to come and play for him and sing for him. When the king was really going through it, when he was possessed, not himself, David would play. And God would come through David's playing and singing and release Samuel, a death. Saul from this possession. Bring him back to his right mind. And then he gets to fight Goliath. Gets called back again. And he has that tremendous victory. And then he becomes the leader of Saul's armies and has tremendous victories and it's all going well for him. And then Saul becomes jealous. And David gets driven away. He has to run and hide for he's going to be killed otherwise. In fact, David was nearly killed. Saul actually threw his spear at him across the room and he had to run. And even then, when he's hiding out, he has to have this little gang of mercenaries. He has to work as a mercenary amongst other kings in the area. He who has been, he'd been promised he would be king and now what's happening? And then in one of the kings, that one of these little kings that he's sheltering with, says, isn't this, this, isn't this David? Isn't he the one who they keep saying, you know, Saul has killed his thousand, but David is tens of thousands? David hears this and gets worried, and so he has to pretend to be mad. Ooh, a slavering and dribbling and, and, and all this sort of thing. Norman would do it much better. <laughs> but... Uh-huh. <laughs> And, and it, what a humiliation to have to do that to save your life. And he did. And even when he gets to be king, he only gets to be king because his best friend, Jonathan, who was his heart, his life, they were so close, 
He loved Jonathan and Jonathan loved him. They were like brothers or even closer. And Jonathan should have been king when Saul died. David only got to be king because Jonathan died too. His best friend died when his enemy Saul died. And even when he is king, one of his sons, Absalom, turns against him and sets up a rebellion against him and David has to sort of run for his life again. And he's only saved because his son Absalom gets killed. And he upsets all his, you know, his people by saying, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. He's in desperate tears. He's in a terrible place. His son has been killed. His son turned against him, but his son was then killed. He's gone through all of this. And you can look back on it. See that God was with him through all of it. And he wants people to be able to remember this and to be strengthened by it. That even when he was at his lowest place, God was with him. When everyone was spitting at him, despising him, God was with him. God would bring him out of it. And more than that, God would keep his promises to him. That, you know, on in your, one of your sons, son of David, would be the ruler, the Messiah. He could see it. And the Holy Spirit gave David the words to express what he discovered and what he wanted others to know. And he gave him such words that they would point to what, I think, is it one of the hymns? says, Great David's greatest son would fulfil them and bring them to the very brim on the cross. Because when it says in Matthew, Matthew often talks about, and so the scripture was fulfilled with just a little verse. And it's not meant, you meant, not meant to just to look at that verse, but the whole context and why it was all there. Otherwise, sometimes it doesn't seem to make sense. But when you read the whole part where that little verse comes from, it does. And one of the first things I remember being told in college, I think it was in college, that when a verse is quoted in the Bible, it means not just the verse, read the whole bit. And when Jesus quotes something, say, uh, he has the whole bit in mind. And so here, on the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so many people just grab that little bit and think, oh, Jesus is, you might say, really showing his human side here. Here, Jesus had lost his faith. And, and just leave it at that. Jesus hadn't lost his faith on the cross. He did not lose his faith. I don't know how many of you have watched the, um, the life of Brian. And there's this, in a way, dreadful bit on it. They have them hanging on the cross and they're singing, Always look on the bright side of life. You know, in a way, it's terrible. Um, and in a way, it, but the odd thing is, when I watched that film, I thought, I had to watch it. 
it's terribly disrespectful towards believers. It's not actually disrespectful about towards Jesus. When you see the bits where Jesus appears, he's actually appearing quite well, but there's this horrible bit, but this stupid bit in a way, which is having a go at those of us who always want to look on the bright side of life. There he is, he's being killed, singing, always look on the bright But it's, I suddenly realised, looking at this, that Jesus, in a way, was singing on the cross. He had a song, a song that his forebear David had written on his lips on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this translation I've read, the last words of it are a, a proper way that this, the last words can be translated. He has done it or it is finished. Jesus' last words on this cross were, in effect, the last words. And his, some of his other words there were, you know, I thirst. This psalm was there with Jesus, our Saviour, on the cross. He'd not lost his faith. He was there knowing that this psalm was being fulfilled. That God's promises were all being fulfilled in him. That's why he went to the cross. I think I either I preached on it or, or I've often said about it or I put it on the... I know it was in my um, magazine article. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For our sake. The joy that was set before him was the fact that you're sitting here today to worship him. To be saved and his people who are going to be with him in glory forever. That was the joy. Not that he was going back to his father in heaven. He didn't have to leave his father in heaven. You know, he didn't have to die on the cross to get, you know, please, you know, just to sort of, in order to get back to heaven. He didn't have to leave heaven. He chose to leave heaven with us. One of the songs we sing. Um, oh dear, what a beautiful name. He didn't want heaven without us. <laughs> no. He chose to come down. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. That's what it meant to him. And in a, in a footnote that goes with this psalm, the, the writer, I can't remember the translator of this one, said that 33 prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus that come, can be seen in this psalm. The Holy Spirit, I don't know, I haven't really worked them all out, but the Holy Spirit gave David these words because that's what he wanted. And Jesus had these words on the cross. What it meant to David was that. What it meant to Jesus was that he was fulfilling God's purpose. And what God had promised would come about. And has come about and we know is coming about. And for Matthew and his readers, they were all, most, they were Jews. Jesus was writing to Christian, I mean, Matthew was writing to Christian Jews. They would have been thrown out of the synagogues that they'd grown up in, that had been the centre of their lives, spiritually and socially. 
They were now outcasts. Uh, in, in 1 Peter, when he writes at the beginning of his, or Peter, when he writes in the beginning of his first letter in 1 Peter, writes to the exiles, in, as it were, the, de- the scattering in all these places. The Jewish Christians were now, in a way, living in another exile. Their fellow Jews would treat them now as Gentiles and despise them because they abandoned them, the synagogue. But the, the thing is, the Gentile neighbours would still treat them as Jews and despise them because they were Jews. Those early Christians were in a terrible place. Nobody liked them for a lot of the time. Some of the time they did. But they were persecuted terribly. But this psalm, which their beloved Jesus quoted, meant that they had not given up their heritage as Jews. No. The the very promises of the whole of the Bible were summed up in Jesus and they were in Jesus. It's just that they could now see that heritage through their Messiah's eyes. They'd seen it expecting the Messiah to be something different. They thought the Messiah was going to be one who would glorify the Jewish nation by making them earthly kings over the world. Chuck out the Romans and really, you know, make Israel great again, as it were. He didn't. He went and died on a cross. But then they could see it. It was all leading up to Jesus and that that very fulfilment would be bigger and wider than they'd ever imagined, and it included their Gentile neighbours. And it was in Matthew's Gospel that he reminds them at the very end that Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. Everyone was there for Jesus And that was there. That's there in this psalm. Every nation will come and worship him. Somehow David saw it. So many people saw Yahweh was his name, the Lord, Jesus, Yeshua, as just the God of Israel. Just the God, you know, the God of Israel of this little local tribe. And the other people have their own gods. And so the Jews... Most of the time, we read through the Old Testament, they decided to hedge their bets by worshipping these other gods as well, of the other nations around. Because they still only saw their god as the god of this little nation, just a local sort of deity, as they'd say. Instead of the king of all the world, but David could see. Even after what he'd been suffering, that he was the king of all the world. And I just think, Today is the day for the, we're thinking and we'll be praying shortly about the persecuted church. Who so many places are going through so much of this psalm. And I don't know what it's like to be persecuted. I'm going to read something after we've sung again. As someone who does know what it's like but who would have had this psalm, they would have known that 
They were following in, his, in illustrious footsteps. First of David, and then of his, the son of David. Both were chosen and loved by God. David, as I said, was a man after God's own heart, and both were persecuted. Jesus persecuted to death on the cross. And raised, Jesus was raised. They were following in his footsteps. Those who suffer, Jesus said, they would. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He told them that. That, in one sense, is this Psalm 22 in a single verse. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We... So what does it mean to us? What it means to me is I've never been persecuted for my faith but I I have been thought to be a bit stupid. That's the worst it gets for me, really. However, like many of us, I hate being thought stupid. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? If people think you're stupid, that's one of the worst things we can have. We hate it. We like to think we're clever and good and so on. But that's really, uh, friends and family may not understand us or think we're stupid. Very rarely do they go against us. Um, Our friend Narge, who's now down in Williton in Somerset, or Naz, you may know him as, I only discovered at the church meeting when he was received into membership that it's pronounced Narge. He never corrected me. Um, he, I mentioned him before, I read out the thing of in court, he proved he was a Christian. <laughs> Amazing. He couldn't go, but he can't go back to Bangladesh. His family had written him off. And in fact, his family really wanted him dead. And so we're praying. And he's now in this lovely little church and the Lord has really looked after him in down there in Taunton. He only went down to give support to another Bangladeshi friend who was converted and was suffering and wanted Naj to come and help him and pray with him. So he took a week off. And while he was down there, I'm sort of digressing, but it became clear that that's where he should be. He was offered a job, all this within a week. People from a church who said they'd help him with his English and support him and help him with other people and get him to... And a driving instructor who said he'd help him pass his driving test. He hasn't yet. But, and he felt that was the place he should be. And I felt the Lord showed me that this was the place he would be. Amazingly, he wouldn't, unless Maggie and I gave him permission, he wouldn't have moved there. He felt it was the right place, but he has no, his parents have abandoned him. He's had to look to us as parents here in England. I have not been person. You know, I haven't lost anything by being a Christian, so I don't know, but he has, but I'm... Uh, Yeah, I have gone through some difficult times in the last four years or so. At times you can feel alone in your suffering. You can feel that God doesn't care. And we can feel that, not only that, but people don't care and understand. Sometimes you can actually think that they might feel less of us because of what we're suffering. Especially if we claim to be Christians. 
You think, surely they'll think less of me. I claim to be a Christian. Yeah, I'm going through all this. How could your God let you go through all this, they might say. But they don't. So David, in writing this psalm, he was looking back through all of history to see what God had done in the history of his people and in his own life. From the moment he was born, and God has been doing that for us too, from the moment we were born, God has been our Father, caring for us and looking after us. And we look back for what God has done in our lives. But we look back to an exodus too. David looked back to the exodus. But we look back to a greater exodus that Jesus achieved for us on the cross while he was quoting this very psalm. But it didn't stop David looking back through history. It didn't stop him saying to God, Yes, but what about me? The book of Psalms is full of complaints to God. It's a very honest book. I think I'm preaching again what I preached before, but um, the apostles didn't mind saying, I don't mind repeating to you what I've repeated before. And it was up there on the screen when I managed a PowerPoint once. The book of Psalms is God's complaints department. (laughs) He's given it to us to help us to praise him and to tell him how we feel. Because only if we tell him truthfully how we feel about what we're going through can he come to us in it properly. If that's true of us as humans, it's true of You know, for me and Maggie, it's it's only if I tell her what I'm feeling that she can help me. Sometimes I don't want to. But it's no good unless I do, and it's no good with God unless if we are hiding it from him. David never, ever did. And God could come to him and lift him, and that's what Jesus wants to do with us. And Jesus, when he went to the cross, it wasn't when he was suddenly there, suddenly he thought, oh, I know Psalm 22. (laughs) He knew the Bible. From when he was 12, he was an expert in the Bible. From when he was 12. He doesn't expect us to jump from verse 30, you know, 1 to verse 31 in one go. When you're going through it, tell him how you feel. But he wants that to go on. And the thing that came to me through all this was this is a song to be sung. And that's why Roger and Sally's ministry this morning has been so important. They've led us in song, not just for now, but so that these words can stay with us. Jesus had David's song in his heart when he went to that cross. And singing was such an important part to the early church. 
Uh, at the Last Supper, it ends when it says they went out and they sang a hymn and went out. When Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, when they're in prison in Philippi, they're singing hymns and songs when the prison is broken open. We're told to sing psalms and heart songs and speak to each other with songs in our hearts. The book of Revelation is full of songs to God. And they sang a new song to the Lamb. God wants us to sing. I've got this, uh, just a quick quote from a commentary I found I had. According to the writer of Hebrews, Jesus sings this song still in the assembly of all who rejoice in his suffering and achievement. That's us. And that's in Hebrews 2, verse 12, when he, he quotes from it. What an extraordinary insight. In our worship and praise, Jesus is leading the singing. And Charles Spurgeon asked, Is Jesus as man, the great leader of the devotion of the skies, is he the chief musician of the sky? Does he beat time for all the hallelujahs of the universe? I think so. In the midst of the congregation on earth too, Jesus Christ is the sweetest of singers. Is not Jesus Christ in the midst of the congregation, gathering up all the notes which come from sincere lips to put them into his golden censer and make them rise as precious incense before the throne so that he is the great singer rather than we? He is the chief player on our stringed instruments, the great master of the music. The worship of earth comes up to God through him and he is the accepted channel of all praise of all the redeemed universe. The implications for our praise are profound. The more realistic the laments, the more honest the praise. Only the weight of deeper experiences will raise the quality of our worship, especially his experience. For the stream of praise rises deep in the dark hillside of Calvary. Out of the hidden depths of his darkest hour flows the river of our richest praise. Because he shared our bitterest laments and carried our griefs in his own body to the tree, we can be the outlet for his worship and the mouthpiece for his victory song. Maybe this is for next week rather than this. Because Sally and Roger, I should have preached this first, Sally and Roger have already led us in worship. They're going to lead us in more worship. We're going to sing again in a moment. But Jesus is here with us. He's inspiring them to lead us. They were, it's not just a matter of filling in and giving something to do until the preacher comes up. It's God-given. It's a blessing to take with us that when we may not be able to remember the verse, the thing when we're going through it, a song will come to us. And sometimes, when I've been in pain, I might go, oh, ow! See? But I learned long ago, a song... I end up singing, oh, 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 how good is the Lord. Oh, 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 how good is... I can't... 
You might want to say, oh God, give me strength. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, our... And it goes, Let song come into your hearts. We're going to sing now a song to take with us. And then we're going to pray for that church. I've, um, I don't know where mine is. <laughs>